You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Thompson. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Portland Art Gallery is proud to sponsor Love, Maine Radio. Portland Art Gallery is the city's largest and is located in the heart of the Old Port at 154 Middle Street. The gallery focuses on exhibiting the work of contemporary Maine artists and hosts a series of monthly solo shows in its newly expanded space, including Ingen Jorgensen, Brenda Sirioni, Daniel Corey, Jill Hoy, and Dave Allen. For complete show details, please visit our website at artcollectormain.com. Love, Maine Radio is also brought to you by Aristel, a lingerie boutique on Exchange Street in Portland's Old Port, where every body is seen as a work of art and beauty is celebrated from the inside out. Shop with us in person or online at aristel.com. After serving four terms in the main House of Representatives, Hannah Pingree now works as the business manager of our Families Inn, Restaurant, and Farm and manages North Haven Sustainable Housing. Congresswoman Shelley Pingree represents Maine's first district in Congress. Thank you for coming in today. Sure. Thanks for having us. You're both pretty busy ladies. <laughs> That's true. Not just because of the Congress, but also because of all the work that you're doing on North Haven. Yes, you live in a small town, and I also have two kids, so you get sucked into a lot of things. And my mom has started a couple businesses, but she's busy in Congress, so that's <laughs> for Hannah. We know how to keep busy. And then, of course, you have your sister, who is also doing a lot of very interesting things on the island. Yes, she runs a uh, restaurant, she is a landlord, she makes films, so we somehow we all have an inability to focus. We like to do a lot of things. <laughs> that's a good thing. And then we don't want to leave out the fact that you also have a son, Shelley. Yeah, that's right, who's a furniture builder. And um, he lives in Brooklyn, New York, um, and has a child, but we always think someday he'll move back to Maine, because who doesn't want to build furniture in Maine if you can? It seems like that would make sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah, we're working on it. So Turner Farm, tell me, why did you originally have the interest in this place? Which is beautiful. I've been there. I really enjoyed my visit. Um, It seems quite idyllic, a nice small main island but it also seems like it could require a lot of effort true well I mean I've been I've been farming um, since the 1970s and um, I've farmed in two or three locations on North Haven I originally came to Maine kind of like when all the back to the landers moved to Maine in the 1970s and then I studied at College of the Atlantic with Elliot Coleman who's one of the masters of organic farming um, so she, ma- just, she majored in composting. Yeah, that's right. And I was in charge of composting. Which I love. It's actually one of my favorite topics. Yeah. I think <laughs> I told you this when yes. I was at the farm. Yeah. So Well, I learned to compost at College of the Atlantic, and it was my work-study job. So, um, And then I ended up on North Haven. And so uh, I just felt very fortunate back in, it was around 2008, with my previous husband who had come to the island. And this farm just happened to come onto the market. Um, it's one of the historic farms in the community, probably one of the oldest farms since the original family came in 1764 um, and uh, the fact that it was being sold and we were there at that moment in time so it's the it's the biggest farm I've ever had the um, chance to operate and the most serious operation and we've ended up um, expanding it quite a bit and clearing a lot of land that had grown up it had been um, abandoned from farming for many years and today we have uh, eight greenhouses so we're able to operate it year-round and uh, we have pigs and chickens and cows and, you know, run barn dinners out of our barn and, and do it in collaboration with our restaurant and inn and also something I didn't intend to do, but um, 
we now own all these businesses, and it's been, um, you know, really wonderful to be able to operate such a historic farm, but also to have it done in collaboration with a restaurant, so you can, you know, have this experience of eating food that was picked that morning. Is this something that people are surprised to learn about each of you when you first, well, I mean, you've, both of you have been in government for quite a while at this point, but when they first meet you, are they surprised to learn that you both have this farming background? It's a better question for her. I mean, I grew up on a farm somewhat when I was a little kid, and then she actually started a knitting business, and so I actually grew up with sort of in her small business part of her life. But she is the farmer, and she's the farmer in Congress, and I think it's added a lot of credibility. I mean, she is one of the most involved members of Congress working on food policy and farm policy. So maybe they're surprised, but I think it's, I think it's actually been really appreciated by the people she's worked with that she does it and she does it even in her spare time when she's not in Congress she works on you know how we can make this farm work um, so I, I personally I am not a farmer and we have amazing couple that runs our farm and they know so much more than I do and we all work on the business side of things how we're gonna make it break even so I've been deeply involved in that and how it connects to our restaurant but so she, I would say I don't profess to be a farmer but she is uh, yeah, and it's great for me. I mean, nobody's more fortunate than when your kids, you know, work in the same business that you do and having Hannah have been involved in politics and now being able to do this, it's, it's great. I couldn't continue to operate this farm um, if I didn't have Hannah as the business manager and, and running everything and, and also the restaurant too. But it's true. When I meet people in Congress, you know, you don't, people think that most politicians and members of Congress are lawyers. They just kind of have this idea that you went to law school and you became a politician. And so when somebody says, well, you know, what did you do in your background? And I say, well, the only thing I'm really qualified to do is to be an organic farmer. It's the only thing I ever studied. And it's the, it's the one thing I'm, you know, I'm technically able to do. Um, people are surprised. Um, but I've served on the Agriculture Committee. I'm on the Agriculture Appropriations Committee. I've made it my number one issue. And so I think my colleagues associate that with me. But sometimes when I talk to them about it, you know, in some ways people are as surprised that we live on an island and that we have to take a ferry to get home and that it's a farm on an island. And, you know, people have, people in Maine have a certain sense of our, of our island tradition and our coastal history. But anywhere else, and you say to someone, well, we ride a ferry, or there's a huge community on, on the, you know, there are 14 year-round islands in Maine, and each of them have communities, and ours has a K through 12 school, and, you know, it's, an, it's a vibrant operating community. I think people are very surprised. Hannah, when I was visiting this summer, you and I had a conversation about the fact that um, it's the summer residents um, really produce uh, quite the market for fresh, well produce, fruits, vegetables, and and your farm dinners, which are very popular, and then you have a lot of visitors to the inn. But you're a year-round farm, and you don't have quite the same demand as the months move into um, the autumn and winter. How do you work with that? Yeah, I mean, that is the most complicated challenge and it's I mean it's not different than it. most of Maine is somewhat seasonal I mean a lot of the tourism industry a lot of farms have significant demand in the summertime and then you got to figure out how to be creative so uh, we have a lot of demand in July and August I and mean, we could sell every piece of lettuce you know goat whatever we have we could sell it in in July and August so we have been creative we have a year-round CSA where we offer winter greens um, that just started a couple weeks ago and we actually deliver them to people on North Haven and Vinyl Haven um, and we have built a pretty significant base of clients up on the mainland. We sell to a bunch of food co-ops, restaurants, 
and because we grow year-round, that is somewhat unique, especially in January. The good turn in Rockland is psyched for our <laughs> lettuce and our spinach and our kale. So, but it takes hard work. I mean, it's a pain in the butt to get things on and off the island. So we try to coordinate it with things going on with my sister's business and Nebo when we're open. So we try as much as it takes more effort, but you have to be more creative to make it work. And and we're working on it. So. And we also, I mean, part of our business model is that we, we have eight greenhouses, which many many farms in Maine are now using hoop houses to extend the season. Um, so five of them are not heated, but three of them are heated by wood that we cut on our property. There's a lot of waste wood on North Haven because there's just a lot of fallen trees. So finding wood isn't a problem, but keeping a fire going, you know, and maintaining it and the cost of, you know, the infrastructure, um, you know, was a part of it. But more and more farms are doing that in Maine because um, again, it's a way to extend your season. And frankly, if you ever have the chance to eat spinach that's grown in the winter in a hoop house that's, you know, maybe gotten a little bit of frost on it, it has a whole different flavor. There's something about the cool weather that really changes the taste. Um, so the quality of the stuff we grow in the winter, some of it is as good or better than what we grow in the summer. Um, and the people in Maine need green things. In, yeah. in January and February, they do appreciate it. Well, we were just over in... Um, in Rome visiting my daughter who's studying abroad and we noticed that there weren't a lot of vegetables being served because even though it's warmer there their their local produce is kind of is shutting down this time of year mm. and the availability of greens is something that you don't notice that you have until it's not there yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and we're so you in in I mean US supermarkets there are boxes of greens year-round they're a little sadder even at Hannaford in the wintertime but I think people do appreciate a locally grown organic product uh i mean there's i think there are more and more people who appreciate that and on north haven because we realized it was easier we actually deliver people csa to their houses <laughs> so it's like about as easy as it can get and we have a very diverse group of people who are into it this ability to be a business person has been really important to both of you and something that i from what i'm guessing has has taken time it's not something that even if you had an mba which i don't think either one of you does it's something that really comes with practice and Mm -hmm. really being um, the owner of your own business so tell me what that was like for you initially as the person who studied composting right. and gardening and farming to start developing your business skills. Right. Well, um, I mean, I came about it because I wanted to be a farmer, but I was lucky at College of the Atlantic. Like I took, they had a couple of business classes way back in the 1970s. Dan Kane, who's no longer with us, taught a class. And I remember that I learned double entry bookkeeping, which doesn't mean anything to anybody anymore because you have Quicken and you have your computer system and everything else but in my first farm I had you know a pencil and a ledger and my dad was actually an accountant and he used to come out and visit Um, I was from Minnesota originally he would come out and visit you know for three weeks in the fall and he'd go over all my books and find the mistakes you know and it was a more complicated thing then and I you know but it it was what I learned to do and I, I feel like business to me is something I learned along the way it was you know, I started with my first, you know, farm and one apprentice and selling in the summer. That was way back, um, you know, in the 1970s when, when Hannah was first born. Um, and then over the years, I developed a yarn business and we had a mail order company. And, you know, in the 70s and 80s, we sold um, to 1,200 accounts around the country. And we had mail order catalogs back before there were computers. And, and so everything I learned was, a, you know, a little bit along the way. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's been great to have Hannah, who you're right, doesn't have an MBA, but, you know, served in the legislature, was on the Appropriations Committee, Speaker of the House, you have to deal with budgets and, you know, is way better at computer spreadsheets and, you know, all the things that we have to do now and, 
Um, you know, we've just learned it along the way, but it, there's a lot to it. Um, all the rules and regulations when you're dealing with food or restaurants, you've got all the, you know, food safety issues when you have employees, which we have, you know, more than 50 at the height of the summer. Um, you've got payrolls and healthcare insurance and, you know, everything else. So I feel like we're constantly learning and figuring out ways to do it. And, and then the business model. I mean, everybody who farms knows that um, it's not easy to make a living on a farm. It's not easy to make your farm work. Restaurants are even uh, trickier sometimes and seasonal businesses, as, as many people have in Maine, and our season is very short. You know, you got to pay for that infrastructure year-round. And so we're constantly, you know, trying to look for the right way to go about doing it. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with all of that. I am, I am, my whole growing up, my mom has been a business person and in politics. And even before she ran for the state legislature, she was a school board member. I'm now on the school board. <laughs> I was in the legislature. So it's sort of this, I think that we both come at business from a, like, at least I do, from a perspective of it's actually something good for our community, too. I mean, people need jobs. The community needs diversification. Her knitting business was actually a lot about employing women on the island year-round. And at that point when she started it in the 80s and 90s, there were not a lot of year-round jobs for women. And I think our, our restaurant and our farm have actually, you know, they, they employ year-round people. They have brought people to the island. So it's, it's actually sort of a joint social slash business mission i mean i will say running a restaurant and a farm are not good ways to make money like our goal is always break even and if we make money fantastic but it's really to keep something that we believe enhances the community sustainable and um you know and it's important for the community because one you have a place to eat or buy food but it also has provided people with employment and it sort of adds vibrancy to any community you, you need those kind of things so that's how we've We've probably come at it at times too altruistic and you learn hard lessons that way, but it's, I think, especially in small towns in Maine, small businesses are, are sort of how we keep things going. It's how people can be able to stay there. So that's really what's driven me to continue to put the amount of work that restaurants and freight and employees <laughs> and some of the hassles um, are, they don't seem worth it, but then in the big picture, they are. And it's how a lot of people in Maine, I think, get into business. Um, you know, there's a get an MBA and I want to be a business person. Then you find sort of the ideal business to do. But more often, it's somebody who, you know, who makes something great, who developed a product. You know, and I meet people all the time, particularly women. You know, they've developed a food product or a, you know, any kind of idea. And somebody says, well, you should sell those. And then before you know it, you've sold it at craft fair, and then you sell it to retail stores, and then you've got to figure out, I've got employees now. I have a, you know, I have a facility, and you know, you hear that story, and I'm sure you've you've heard it and you know written about it many, many times. Um, and I, I actually saw a statistic the other day. I, I often, you know, talk to groups of women-owned businesses, and, and women-owned businesses are the fastest-growing segment of the entrepreneurial economy. And Maine happens to be a leader. It's number one or two in the growth of women-owned businesses and women-started businesses. Um, women are also the most likely to start their business by using their credit cards because they can't get a loan at the bank. Um, which is something that should change, but it's still kind of a sad statistic. But the truth is, you know, a lot of times in a state like Maine where there, you know, there aren't multiple big employers in every small town where it's a very rural economy, you know, people get an idea, they think, oh, my kids are growing up or I want to supplement this and stay at home, you know, what can I do? And so you become a business person in a sense, sort of the, the back way. And, you know, you learn along the way, but many times you understand the notions of business better because you're always trying to figure out like, you know, 
how do I add you know value to this product or income from my family or you know all the things that people want to do I think one of the things that you just mentioned about um, how do I balance, I guess, having children or just a family, even if you don't have children, how do I balance that with also making a living? I think that is very important. And many of the, specifically women, although increasingly men, are trying to find a way that they can do both, that they can do something that's very fulfilling, um, that's not related to their families, but also be available for their families. Mm -hmm. And the importance of family, I think, is um, has always been um, utmost, but it, I think it's even coming around mm-hmm. again. Is this something that you are seeing with the people that you work with? I mean, I, I, I actually think back to even the businesses that my mom started. I mean, the farm, we were little kids just wandering around while she was farming, and then she started this yarn business. I used to get off the school bus at her like yarn company and hang out and help her employees, and I'm sure we were paying the butt, but like it was, <laughs> it was so a part of our lives. And I think that obviously the closer you work to home, the more possible that is. Um, and I think, I mean, for me, my job in politics was a lot of travel and it was being in Augusta and being away. I have, I have young kids, you know, two kids under four, five, and six. And so I think it's a good time to be really in my community and having a small business in a small town allows you to still go to the school events and go to your school board meetings and, and be involved in your kids' lives. And I mean, it's a juggle. I mean, I'm sure any, same as a city. I mean, in rural areas, it's like you got to find a babysitter. There's sometimes a child care program and aftercare, so it's a lot more work. And my husband and I are always like, oh, my God, she's coming off the school bus at 3. Like, who's going to stop working mm-hmm. to go, you know? But I think it's, it, it. I mean, our kids, they maybe they don't even know how much, how great it is, how much they see us. And if I'm on the mainland for a day or two, it's like, when are you coming back? <laughs> um, but I know I think for especially for for young kids, I, I've found that, that that has been fulfilling. I mean, it's not always easy. I mean, Amanda Hallowell, who is our head chef at Nebo and, and really helps run Nebo, um, you know, she had a newborn the one of the you know the second summer we were open, and she's now ten years old. And every summer, it's always a juggle of trying to run a restaurant and having a kid. But I think we live in a small town where this point her daughter can sort of check in all right mom I'm gonna go run around town and I mean that's sort of what small towns in Maine are, are good for and it's obviously much easier to do that on an offshore island than it would be in Portland I do think people see that as a value though about I mean when you talk to people who say you know I'm moving to Maine or I just moved to Maine or I grew up in Maine and I want to bring my family back or I've decided I want to figure out a way to stay Again, there there are places where, you know, the job is right there. You know what you're going to do. But a lot of communities, if you decide you want to stay in the town you grew up or move to a rural community, you're thinking like, okay, what is it I'm going to do? You know, do do one of you have a, a job that's portable? You can still work for a company you used to work for. Or can you do something online? Or is there something you always wanted to do that you could turn into a business or take over a family business? And I think you just see... I just I feel like Maine people are in many ways more entrepreneurial because we don't have the guaranteed you know job that you can go into and especially as we've seen some of the economic changes mills closing and things that you know have really changed people's lives um, you know we just have a lot of people think about okay what could I do to make ends meet and in a in the community like where we live or I think a lot of places you find people who have multiple jobs you know you just don't go to one employer but you know our community we have a lot of fishermen most fishermen work in the summer but then in the winter maybe they paint houses or they work on a plumbing crew or they um, you know fix boats or there's just a lot of things people do um, you know 
substitute school teaching, things like that. Um, it's a big part of, I think, the main economy. One of the things that I noticed about your island is that everybody seems to know everybody, and they know that you're not from there, but they're nice. They wave <laughs> yeah. if you're Hopefully, walking yes, down the street. they usually are. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in the end of August, we're all... Yes. <laughs> well, that makes sense. I yeah. think at the end of the tourist season, a lot of people in Maine feel that way, so yeah. it's not just your island, but... Um, and I think that it also, from what I understand, talking to other people from Maine Island, specifically our small towns, is that there's there's a sense of keeping it real mm-hmm. and that you have to coexist with people that may not necessarily share your philosophy, your beliefs, but you all you need to have you need to have somebody who's going to take care of your kids, somebody who's going to educate your kids, somebody who's going to plow the driveway, somebody who's going to you know do different things within yeah. the community. So trying to at least understand where they're coming from and not alienating them. Is that something that we could translate into a bigger um, way of maybe um, helping the current political environment? Mm-hmm. I'm trying yeah. to say this in yeah. a way no, that No, no, I mean, it's, it's totally, I mean, she's talked about it and given speeches about it and written about it. I mean, I think my entire childhood on the island, the islands, I mean, it's changed and evolved a little bit, but it's still... You, you know, you, I, there are 350 to 400 people who live on the island. I know all of them, <laughs> you know, and not everybody loves each other, but you waved everybody, you would talk to everybody, and I have good friends that I went to high school with who, you know, support Donald Trump, and I will, some of them I'll argue with, some of them will joke about it, but, like, at least I can see where they're coming from, and we can have a civil conversation, but, you know, more importantly, I think it's a small community. We all rely on each other for all kinds of things, you know, in bad situations for, you know, to help plumb your house or, you know, fix your furnace when it's broken. And I think that level of small community, we all are in this together is, is certainly, I mean, that's one challenge we all see going on in our country, like that this, we do rely on each other and that, that sense fading is pretty, damaging and scary for kind of the whole concept of of our country and our and our government and our you know our system of democracy is very reliant on people talking to each other and relying on each other so I I think I mean for me I feel like I there are pros and cons to living in a very small town and on an island but I completely valued me I went to North Haven Community School grades kindergarten through 12 and all my classes were very diverse and those people are still my friends and we don't all have the same point of view or the same career path but you I think kids learn a lot having to growing up with people who are I mean there's we lack some diversity but we have a real diversity of opinions and sort of places we're coming from yeah and I felt I mean obviously I've lived there since before I had kids and my kids grew up there and you know, as Hannah said, it was it was great to have your kids grow up in a school where it wasn't sort of like, you know, everybody's parent did a certain kind of job or, you know, I mean, some kids' parents are fishermen and some kids' parents are school teachers. And there's just, there is this kind of mixture of opinions and political views. And I think in a way, you know, one of the nice things about a small town and, and you know, you're right about how does it translate into the, the sort of national political scene in the time that we're in. Um, you you kind of lead with your um, you know your working relationship with each other and your life relationship with each other. You know you see the plumber on the street and you say you know like you know what kind of new faucet do you think I should get for my bathtub? Or I don't know. You know you just you're more likely to have practical s- conversations with people. 
and and you you have this sort of connection with each other because of the island you know oh the weather gets bad I don't think the ferry will go you know you just have these things you kind of like talk about or think about or you know that that you can relate on and so you don't think about each other as a you know a political point of view or uh, gosh you know that person's so different from me and I think you know we you know Hannah mentioned it earlier I mean we, we've been in business you know in a family way in most of our life and and it hasn't always been like you know how how do we start a business and you know make the most we can off of you know everybody it's like it's it's part of being in a community and the people who work for you you know you don't think about like how can I squeeze them on their wages you think about like man if my employees don't have health care you know I'm gonna know it that they don't get the services that they need or you know the fact that all of our kids basically go to a public school and being on the school board is a tough job in a small town because we all understand that um, you know it's the one school your kids are gonna go to and everybody has strong opinions about it and everybody went to school themselves you know but and everybody pays a property tax so you're very close to the mechanics of all of it but you also understand if you don't have a good public school then then young people won't want to raise their kids there and if you live in a town that's finite like an island and young people don't want to live there pretty soon everybody's old and the place doesn't survive so I, I think you you do get a, a more of a gut sense about how things work in the sense of we're all in it together which seems much harder um, to visualize in our political situation today I mean I feel really lucky because I got to deal with the, you know, the difficulties of Washington politics today and the incredible frustration and, you know, bad things that are going on and, and how constituents feel about, you know, the lack of, um, you know, ability of Congress to get along. But I kind of have this model of coming back to Maine. And so I'm constantly reminded that, you know, that people are good, that communities can function and that even, you know, even when you go through a hard time, um, and small towns go through hard times, you have a fight over the school or you have a fight over, you know, the speed bumps in the road. I mean, we, we, we figure out ways to fight over all kinds of things. You know, should we build a new ferry or not? But you kind of work it out and you got to work it out with the people who, you know, vote the same way you do or vote, don't vote the same way you do or live in a house like yours or don't live in a house like yours. So it, it's, it's been a really good lesson for me and I think it makes, for me, like it gives me a whole different perspective about being in Washington because I think, no, people are really good and we have lots of communities in Maine where people work through hard stuff and get along with each other and, and they wave every day. You know, in our town, if you don't wave at somebody, like, that's a major offense. Like, they'll come up to you and say, why didn't you wave at me? Yeah. Are you mad at me about something? Yeah. Like, you know, it's funny. Hannah, I know one of the projects you have been working on is um, a place for older people to live um, once they get to the point where they can't take care of themselves. And it seems like that's an important consideration for island communities. We've talked a lot about the importance of schools um, and having those available on small islands, but, but now really having a place where older people can be still a part of their community um, as they age. Because yeah. sending them to the mainland doesn't necessarily contribute to positive health. Yeah, yeah, we will be, so we will be the fourth offshore island to develop a small assisted living facility. And the ideal, again, is that as people get to a point where they can no longer live in their homes, if they require extra care, in the past people have had to move off the island. Um, and they move off the island and they're in Rockland or somewhere else, and middle of the winter maybe people visit them every couple weeks, and it's incredibly lonely. So you have an older person who spent, you know, a couple years or their entire lives on this one island, and then they have to die somewhere else or spend their last 
two to ten years of their lives. So a group of community members has been talking about this for a long time. They've seen Final Haven and Shabig and Islesboro do it. Um, and then we had a summer resident donate her beautiful summer home, which she couldn't sell to the housing organization that I work for. So I've been working in collaboration with this assisted living organization for a couple years to raise the funds to build more bedrooms onto this house to make a six bed um, facility. And it should open sometime this spring. Um, and it's a lot of work, you know, people are another nonprofit and do we really, you know, it's, how much is this gonna cost? But I think most people see you know, you have we have a community center, we have a school, we have a grocery store. We sort of have a lot of the elements that a town needs to function. But if you lose, you know, your older population or even the handful of them that are forced to leave, that just is sort of a a, a void that is doesn't seem fair. And I think a lot of us had stories of people who we were close to having to move off, and just sort of the heartbreak of that. So um, I'm hoping it will be very successful. It's a lot of work. To raise money for things and build buildings and building on islands is more complicated and it's certainly the the group that will run this facility it will be a big job but i'm i think it will i think it will be a really amazing additional community element to kind of keep our community cohesive and together and isn't this also an example of working with a what's a seemingly smaller population but that also has ripples into the larger community where it's not just the older person who has to move off the island but it's the family members around Mm -hmm. the older person who then need to shift to a completely different um, way of living which um, can put a lot of strain on not only a family but a community yeah and I I mean we've again we've seen examples of people who their family has had they tried to take care of them at home for a while and that's been a situation that maybe lasted too long and led to difficult health outcomes and then they have the family on the mainland and you know an older person you're trying to go visit your friend on the mainland but you only get there twice a winter and you're heartbroken they're heartbroken so I I think it will it should lead to you know some situations for multiple families that are much improved and I actually think for the entire community I mean we hope this is a facility where other seniors have a place to gather especially in the winter time it's it's pretty lonely and can get extra meals or school kids can interact in a more clear way with with seniors on a regular basis so there's a there are a lot of elements of sort of improving people's lives other than just the six people who live there there's also the you know there's the the situation that people get into where um you know they're older they don't want to leave the community but um it's just very hard for them to stay in their house you know maybe it costs a lot to heat or it's you know drafty or or they can't get around very well well in a house um you know in practically everywhere in maine there's a shortage of affordable housing there's always a shortage of housing so sometimes that means you know if that senior can move into the other facility then that's a house that comes back onto the market you know they can sell it where there's still some value in it or they can turn it over to another family member who then has a place to live and they're in a comfortable situation that's just right for them i mean there's a reason this happens in other places and it's just it is a really important part of a small community that lots of places are starting to recognize so it's like the farm it's another example of you know pulling on a string over here mm-hmm. and having it impact you know the rest of the world um, around yeah. it yep Well, I appreciate all the work that each of you are doing, um, both in a practical sense and a more theoretical sense as far as government. Mm -hmm. And well, that's also practical, I guess. I don't want to... Hopefully. 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 Some days. That's that's right. 
I've been speaking with uh, Hannah Pingree, who, after serving four terms in the Maine House of Representatives, now works as the business manager of her family's in restaurant and farm and manages North Haven Sustainable Housing, and also with Congresswoman Shelley Pingree, who represents Maine's first district in Congress. Thank you for all your hard work, and thank you for coming in today. Thanks for having us. Love Maine Radio is brought to you by Maine Magazine, Aristel, Portland Art Gallery, and Art Collector Maine. Audio production and original music are by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producers are Paul Koenig and Brittany Cost. Our assistant producer is Shelby Wasick. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Rebecca Falzano, and Dr. Lisa Belisle. For more information on our production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, please visit us at lovemainradio.com.